Welcome to Roll to Metal. I am Jonah Knight. I have officially moved from California to Massachusetts, but this new place is a giant mess and nothing is set up, and we had to delay recording of the second half of Our Ladies of Safe Harbor. So here is a bonus episode, bonus actual play, originally aired on RPG Anthology. Nerves of Steel is a detective noir, GM-less story game written in Swedish by Simon Peterson. The English translation was done by Catherine Rahman of Aviatrix Games. Go to aviatrixgames.com for more information about this and other games, including a free download of Nerves of Steel, The English Rules. You can also find that link in our show notes. This game features Holland Lane Curtis, Fee Kurtz, who you may remember from Spirit of 77, and me as a player. The episode is very much like an improv audio drama. One of the big rules in this game is that there should be zero out-of-character conversation. Zero. We all have objectives, and we did hold up cards to indicate story actions while we played over Zoom, but you're not going to hear any of that. You're going to hear something that kind of sounds like an improv audio drama. Another fascinating thing about this game is that Fee and I... In addition to narrating the actions of our own characters, we are also required to narrate the actions of Holland's character. As the protagonist, Holland's character is the center of every scene, and narrating that character's movements passes between the players. Holland makes the final decisions about motivations and that sort of thing. The inclusion of the noir music is also a rule in the game. You really should download a copy and check it out. Uh, This game is sort of held up as doing a lot of very interesting things that have influenced a number of other games recently. The music in this episode was released under a Creative Commons license. The songs were written by Kevin MacLeod, except for Noir No. 1, written by Music by Pedro. All of these songs are promoted by Mr. Snooze. You can listen to them by following the link in the show notes. Oh, and by the way, happy Pride. Okay, let's go. I remember it clearly. In fact, my memory was the only thing clear about the whole thing. The days were rainy, my mind was cloudy, and the case was filled with so many twists and turns you never quite knew where to look the night it began I was sitting in my office on my third glass of whiskey and it was one of those days that I couldn't look myself in the mirror reflections are interesting to say the least but when you see your dead brother in the face that stares back at you you wouldn't want to look either So, there I was, drowning my sorrows, a bit of bourbon, and the phone rang out of the blue. It was quite late for a phone call. I tried not to be too annoyed by it, but there's not much that doesn't annoy me these days. I pick up the receiver, and the first thing I hear is a scream. The second thing I hear, in a bone-chilling voice, was, Don't believe... The man with the one-eyed monster. I hear another scream, and the line's cut. If you or me, phone calls like this are not out of the ordinary, but 
Things like that never cease to scare you. Not that I'd ever admit to being scared in my life. But with no name, no location, nothing but the words, the man with the one-eyed monster in my head. I threw on my coat and stalked out the door into the grimy, wet, disgusting neighborhood that I usually found myself in. I walk on foot. I always do. And so that day, my boots were muddy, my spirits low, and my mind buzzed, and I took off not knowing where to go. The first clue I came across was an abandoned sewing shop. It was about ten minutes away from my office, and uh, I didn't expect anything from it, of course. But going by it, I saw the windows caved in, glass strewn about. Some sort of break-in, I presume. So, as a detective is wont to do, I chose to stick my head into business that wasn't mine. I noticed the door was unlocked. Not only unlocked, but inched open. Lights were off. There was no sound. Nothing but the clink of broken glass at my feet. Amidst the strewn-about glass and sewing needles, I found a large rock with a piece of paper taped to it. It read, If you know what's good for you, you'll keep your trap shut. The only signature was a large M. And of course, I recognized that. Now, I didn't know at the time if this was connected to the mysterious phone call I just received, but I was never one to leave a mystery unsolved. So I made my way to the Goldenrod Casino, where I'd find Manic Mario, because there's only one man in this town who signs with just an M. At the casino, I was bombarded by lights, sounds, and girls, as per usual, but I had no eye for any of them. I went straight to the back, where smoke clouded the room. You could barely see someone's face. I knew Mario would be there. He was always there after 11 p.m., sitting atop his throne with all of his subjects. He was a rude man, and I never quite liked him much, but he had good information, so I made it a point to be his friend. As I slid the crumpled piece of paper from the rock throne through the window, across the table, Mario took one look at it and laughed. It didn't seem like I was going to get what I wanted from him, information or not. Still, someone around this godforsaken joint had to know something. So I made my way around the tables, hoping to catch the eye of any gentleman or dame who looked like they knew too much. I don't know how long I was there, but it was long enough for the smoke to get thicker and for the drinks to keep flowing. Maybe my third lap around the casino was when Stella saw me. She had done this act before, came up to me like we had never met, and asked with a straight face what my drink of choice was, and that it would be on the house tonight. So I play her game, and I gave her an answer, 
and stayed in sight as I kept walking around so that she could find me again. When she came back with my bourbon, something that raised the eyebrows of a few of the men who were watching, the drink wasn't the only thing that she slipped into my hand. So I waited, stepped back a little bit from the crowds, and noticed that the napkin that came with the drink had a phone number on it. I started to put it in my pocket when I realized it wasn't her number. And when I looked around to see if I could get any more from her, she was off taking someone else's order. Frederick was still behind the desk, and he recognized me on my way up. He made some kind of crack about how I was probably there to use the phone again. So I just gave him my stare, my steel-eyed stare, and he blanched, slid the phone across the desk, and stepped to the side so I could make my call in private. The phone rang and rang. No one answered. So I folded the napkin, put it away, and turned back to the room, took another sip from the bourbon, contemplating who in this room might have something for me. The door opened, and four police officers entered and made their way to Mario, who did not seem very happy to have them in his place of business. Never one to know when to turn away from a question, and with the police station so close by, I decided I had time in my busy schedule to accompany the officers as they tried, failed, and tried again to take Mario into custody. The details of the case, as they always are, were hazy. I heard words bandied about like fraud and impersonation, but they were too far apart for me to truly understand their meaning. As we approached the brownstone steps, I took note of the how the lights looked in the mist of the air. It was the kind of air where it's so damp that you feel it inside of your lungs long after you've breathed back out. Made me long for a cigarette. Unfortunately, I had made a promise that I had to keep. So as we walked up those steps, Mario, the brigade in front of me, myself lagging a good 20 feet behind, I noticed that the street was quieter than normal for this time of night. It seemed that the busybodies with their comings and goings had all come and gone with a great sense of doors not only closed but locked behind them. I was paid more notice once we entered the lobby of the police station and was unsuccessful in gaining entry past the visitor space. Despite how I talked and wheedled, there was no going back. And so I took a moment, 
to try and see what information I could find from where I found myself. It was a small room. The bulletin board had posts up from as far back as last year. A collection of America's Most Wanted, who have been wanted for some time, and tags of paper that had been torn down as each perpetrator was brought in and brought to justice. As I continued to look around the room, I noticed a lone figure sitting primly in the dark who gave the air of someone who has waited long enough that they are at the edge of their patience. She was neatly dressed, not seeming from around here. The way that she looked up, met my eyes and looked away, told of stories that needed to and had not yet been heard. I went over and sat on the bench a good distance from her, both of us staring across the hall at the board. So what's a girl like you doing in a place like this? She shifted her body away from me, her eyes choosing not to connect with mine. Well, I didn't mean to startle you. It's just... We usually don't see a a girl so properly dressed in a precinct. You waiting for someone? I'm looking for my sister. Sister? You think you're going to find her in jail? Well, I went by where she works, and... Well, it didn't seem like anyone had worked there in quite a bit, and... Well, there was broken glass all over, and I... I just want to know that she's okay. You wouldn't happen to be talking about that old sewing shop a few blocks back, would you? Why, yes, she's a seamstress. Seamstress? I hadn't heard from her for a while, and, well... You know, us big sisters, we tend to worry. Yes, indeed. Doesn't seem like I'm going to be getting much help from around here, though. They say they're working on it, but I've been here for a couple of hours, and... Well, no one's talked to me except the, um, young lady at the front desk. She says an officer's coming, but I think I might just have to try tomorrow. Well, miss, uh, I hate to break it to you, but the police just caught themselves a pretty well-known criminal, so they might be busy for quite a while. But, uh, lucky for you, my night seems to be free. They call me Steele, Harper Steele, P.I. What's your name? Sanders. Lisa Sanders. Lisa. And your sister? Oh, well, my little Annie. Well, I guess Anne. Now, she doesn't like it when I call her Annie. Uh, Old habits are hard to break, after all. Well, I worry that she doesn't have that much time, and... I would be greatly in your debt, uh, Miss Steele. Well, you seem to know your way about things around here. Do you know anything? Well, I know a lot of things. I know 
how this city works, how it likes to chew people up and spit them out. Even sweet little seamstresses. So, how's about you and I get going and we see what we can find? Oh, really? Why, thank you, Miss Steele. I, well, I really do appreciate it. I'm just so worried. I can understand that. So, Miss Sanders, when's the last time you saw your sister? Oh, well over a month ago. We we move in different circles, and uh, uh, I do think that maybe she... She, came, she said she came out here to make a name for herself, that, but uh, I think it was also to get away from me and the family, so... We would send each other letters, postcards, but I hadn't heard from her in quite some time, and, well, as I said, I started to worry. Are there many big names in the sewing industry? Well, come to think of it, I guess you're right, there aren't. Now, you wouldn't have happened to hear anything about um, a man named Mario in your sister's letters, did you? Well, no. No, I don't think that I did. Um, it's all quite a blur, but she, she would stick to the weather or her comings and goings more than anything else. I don't think I would have remembered a name like Mario, name of any man, but you never can be so sure why. Is that important? Well, it just might be. You see, I stumbled upon the scene itself um, before I made my way to a few other locations as well as here. The man they just brought in, his name's Manic Mario. You'll find him usually at the Goldenrod Casino, and uh, he has a bit of a calling card, you could say. Usually writes his initial M on any, uh, any transactions or the like. Seemed to be quite odd that he would, uh, he would come across a sewing shop and have such a, an outburst with the windows. You said they had just brought in quite a large criminal. Do you, do you think something may have happened? Something certainly happened. It just depends on if your sister was caught in it or not. Oh, well, Miss Steele, I, I would appreciate your help in finding her. Of course. Well, first and foremost, let's see if we can talk to anybody at the station. and see if we can get you in there. See if uh, having a connection to your sister might, um, might open some doors for us. If it's in conjunction with uh, anything to do with Mario. I took the time to stare at the woman's face. For a moment, the tears seemed to lessen, and there was something about her that I knew I needed to protect. She seems so naive to the world. That wasn't something you came across often in this town. So I decided then I'd help her get to the bottom of it one way or another. Making my way over to the receptionist, I gave Louise a nod. It was not the first time she'd seen me in the waiting room, and it certainly wouldn't be the last. She was a tiny thing, curly hair and a pleasant expression, but, but not the type that you could trust and not the type you could take her words at face value. But still, she usually provided more answers than questions. And I kept that in mind as I 
made my way over to her. She gave me the runaround for a moment, a bit of a back and forth, as we were wont to do. And in the middle of our... one of our more spirited debates, the door to the inner part of the precinct flew open, and and a man that could only be described as tall, dark, and handsome sauntered through. He was not one I was familiar with, but he had the uniform of a policeman and the badge to prove it. Seeing my inn, I made my way over to him. I've always prided myself on eloquence and persuasion, but at first, this man would not budge. The name on his badge said Matthew Wilkes, and I took note of it as I hadn't seen him around here before. He looked like he had somewhere to be. But since when has that ever stopped me? I angled myself between him and the door he was trying to escape through and went through my standard tests. I blinked my eyes a little bit to see if that would do anything for him, and it didn't. I leaned back against the wall a little to see if just a little posture change would brighten his mood, but he just seemed intent on getting by. So I did what I do best. I pushed. I pushed and I pulled until I could get the words that I wanted. He was new and he didn't know anything about these streets. Certainly not as much as I do. But I got a commitment, at least in words, that he would give me a call when anything came up about Annie. And of course that wasn't enough. Any word about Mario? He gives me a call. Any word about this mysterious rock thrown through the window at the sewing store? He gives me a call. So I gave him what he wanted. An escape from me. It was late. The city was dark. And I was out of bourbon. I had some puzzle pieces to try to put together. I had never seen a dame so grateful as Lisa when I informed her of the progress I had made. We agreed to go our separate ways. She and I both waiting for our own next clue. I had a pretty good hope I'd find mine at the bottom of another bottle. I don't know how long I'd been asleep, but the sun was up, the cars were filling the street, and my bottle of bourbon was almost empty. And I probably would have kept sleeping, but every time I hear a key turning a lock, I'm instantly awake. It was still dark in my office. I guess I had turned the lamp off, but the door cracked open and someone slid through and shut the door behind. I heard the steps on the floor and then a soft voice. Harper, Harper, are you awake? You want to tell me exactly what you're doing in my office? Stella walked to the window and pulled back the old drapes that were hanging there when I moved my office in. Ugh, jeez, Warner girl. She took the bottle off my desk and found the cap and put it away. What, are you the maid now? Is that an offer? Don't tell me you got sacked. Now, well, who knows what's going to happen with Mario in the slammer. We don't know the future of the club, I guess. So if you're offering me a position, 
we can always talk about it. Well, you know, I I may look like I live the glamorous life, but uh, I'm not made of money, Stell. If you need a place to rest, I got a couch, but besides that, I don't know. Why don't you tell me why you're really here, then? What was with that, uh, that phone number you slipped me? I called and nobody answered. Well, I'm here because I'm worried about you, Harper. I was thinking after the last time we ran into each other at the casino, you had questions and you came to find me then. I didn't hear from you after last night. Mario's gotten taken away. Don't know what's going on with the, with the, with everyone who works there. Now that phone number, I don't know much about. One of the boys who works there told me to slip it to you when I brought you your drink. And I'm pretty sure that he got that number from Mario. I didn't know the two of you had a, had any kind of business relationship. Not so much business. Uh, more so uh, conversations. Mario happens to stumble upon a lot of crime scenes pretty often. So um, I'm surprised to hear that something finally stuck. If anyone can figure it out, I'm sure it'll be you. I miss you, Harper. I always feel safer when you're around. I haven't gone anywhere, Estelle. I'm right here. I knew what she wanted, but it wasn't going to happen. Not after last time. So I rummaged through my desk, trying to find some other place to put my eyes. And both of us heard steps outside the door. And then a knock. Hey, Estelle, why do you, um, why do you step into the office a little farther in? Yeah, I'll be just over here when you need me. Miss Steele? Are you... Are you in there? I rightly am. Come on in, um... Lisa. Miss Sanders. I made my way over to, uh... To unflip the lock. As quickly as I could. Well, I, uh... I... I was wondering if you... If you heard anything about Annie, I... We arranged that I would hear from you this morning, and, well, as it's well past noon, I I thought I should probably come over and check in, make sure everything's all right. Did I, did I hear voices? Oh, uh... I'm not interrupting, am I? No, no, uh, not interrupting a thing. Um, just a, just an old friend stopped by. Stella? Do you want to come introduce yourself to Miss um, Sanders? I made my way over to the other door, opening it and gesturing for Stella to make her way out as well. Looking at the two women, I knew they couldn't be more different, but still, in some odd way, they seemed to share a sort of kinship. Couldn't quite put my finger on what. Well, it's good to meet you. I'm sorry, I've taken up enough of your time this morning, Harper. I've, uh, I have some, some people to go see. If there's anything else you need, you can call me later tonight. Yeah, I'll give you a call. As she walked out the door, it occurred to me that there was a a sort of recognition in her eyes. And whether that was from knowing Lisa Sanders or perhaps a resemblance between the sisters, I didn't know. But one thing was for certain. Stella wasn't telling me everything. So, uh, Miss Sanders, I thank you for checking in. I haven't heard anything as of yet. Uh, I've been up, uh, working on the case diligently. 
and I haven't seen much yet. So, I think our best bet is to take another look at your sister's sewing shop and see if we can find anything else. Well, I think that's a great idea. I also, well, something you said the other night, it made me, it made me think, and I went back and looked through her letters. I, I didn't see a mention of Amario anywhere, but it did seem, well, she was having, it seems like my sister was having some concerns about, about the management, about her employers, and, well, I don't know, but I did bring the letters with me. Maybe you'll be able to find something of value. All right, let's take a look. As she laid out the letters on the coffee table, I tried not to make eye contact. She seemed to be much more of a morning person than I, and um, I wasn't about to be called out for sleeping in the same clothes. So instead, I focused in on what she had to offer. Three letters in particular stood out to me. The three most recent, and also the shortest. All of the other letters seemed to provide details into little Annie's life, who she talked to, how things were going at the sewing shop. But the last three were deceptively vague. They spoke nothing of what she was doing or who she was doing it with. But as I peered at them closer, I noticed a bit of a pattern. The first letter of every sentence spelled out something that made my blood turn cold. What is it? What do you see? Instead of answering, I grabbed a spare napkin and started to write it out. I was fairly proficient in codes, having taken the time to learn it with my brother, and very quickly we saw the message splayed out in front of us. The first letter just laid out the words, Trouble. But the second and third took a bit more time to decipher. And I was still piecing them together when the phone rang. Oh, give me just a minute. I'll grab this. Uh, this is, uh, this is Officer Wilkes calling for, um, uh, Miss Steele? Yes. How can I, um, this is her. Yeah, um, I was just calling to let you know that, um, I know you were interested in Mario's, uh, legal status. And I was just calling to let you know this is public knowledge now. He was uh, he was released on bail this morning. I uh, I mean uh, I have a list here of a number of things that you wanted to know about, and um, I think this was the only one on the list. I hope I hope that's helpful for you. Uh, do you mind telling me who, um, since it's public knowledge, of course, who provided that bail? Hmm. I could hear him flipping through pages on the other end of the phone. It looks like it was his attorney, uh, a Mr. Wallace. A Mr. Wallace, uh, of course it was. All right. I think the firm is um, Wallace and Associates. Right. Uh, yes, thank you, Officer Wilkes. Do let me know if anything else turns up. Yes, ma'am. I, I certainly will. All right, bye-bye now. Uh, uh, bye-bye. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Wallace, who... who I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be eavesdropping. That's... My apologies. I couldn't help but overhear. It's... It's anything about my little Annie? 
nothing in particular about her, but um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mario, as it were, he was released on bail this morning. And um, that was uh, due to the fact he had a fairly powerful attorney on his side. Um, Oscar Wallace is his name, and um, uh, you haven't been in this town long, so you may not know him, but most people do. I should let you uh, continue with the search. I really did just mean to bring over letters. I apologize. I didn't mean to interrupt um, your meeting with your friend. Um, I will... Oh, no, it's quite all right. I'll, I'll leave you to it, and, um, well, you know where to reach me, so... Something in her eyes I couldn't quite discern until now. Though she seemed not to know anything about Mario or the Goldenrod Casino, her eyes lit up in fear when she heard the name Wallace. And that was when I knew this case would be a lot more complicated than at first glance. With more questions than answers, we made our way to the sewing shop. I took the lead and Lisa followed behind. The walk was quiet, and as it had been the night before, it was about ten minutes until we made our way to the storefront. No one had bothered to clean up the glass, and we let ourselves in, ease. Looking about, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary, but that didn't mean there weren't clues to be found. Glass and sewing needles were strewn about the floor, and I held my hand out for Lisa to make her way through it, seeing as she was a bit more dolled up than I. Not finding much but debris in the front of the store, we made our way to the back. There was a single counter, the cash register was intact, with a door behind it that seemed to be locked. Before I could take my hairpin out and make quick work of it, the sound of tires squealing outside had me pulling Lisa down and crouching behind the counter. Though it was broad daylight, a singular headlight shone through the darkness. The car engine revved and then cut off. Lisa and I waited with bated breath as the crunch of glass beneath footsteps grew louder and louder. I could feel my heart beat in my ears, almost in time to the steps, until they slowed. I turned to the fearful girl beside me and covered her mouth with my hand. We could hear footsteps on the shattered glass. Slowly, one after the other, as this mystery person made their way through the store, the steps grew louder as they grew closer to where we were hiding. And then, on the other side of the counter, the walking stopped, and we could hear whoever this was crouched down in front of the counter. They were going through some of the boxes that had been turned over. We could hear fabric, something hard, something clattering. Items were being pulled from these, these boxes. Whoever this was, they were looking for something but they didn't find it in those boxes. After a minute, they stood, and we could hear the steps starting to come around the side of the counter. I turned once again to the lady by my side, expecting 
have to give some direction with my eyes or hands, some silent wave saying, we have to get out of here. But when I looked, I did not see the frightened girl I had come to know, but rather a woman with determination in her eyes and a 22 in her hand. As the footsteps continued to approach, I found myself with even fewer answers and so many questions. She moved my hand from her mouth and turned to face the direction of the oncoming footsteps. Around the corner came someone who looked very similar to the woman I was sitting with. And for a moment, I thought, Perhaps I had had too much hooch this morning, and I was seeing double. But no, as she stood and said, Annie, I knew what I was seeing was real. The two sisters stared at each other for what felt like it could be seconds or years before the newer of the two responded in kind by reaching into her own bag and looking for something. Before the girl, which was called Annie, could pull the tiny pistol all the way out of her bag, I moved. Quick as a flash, I grabbed the pistol and began to wrestle her for it. She struggled for a moment, but I managed to overpower her and pull it from her hands, lowering the weapon, but keeping my eyes trained on the both of them. I said finally, What the hell is going on here? Oh, Lisa she said with her jaw set you shouldn't have come you shouldn't have come at all how could I not what with your letters and then I arrive and see this this has nothing to do with you and now that you're here and she trailed off as another car stopped outside her eyes grew wide and she said can you just go? Can you can you leave by the door? And pointing to the door behind the counter. Annie, I think you know that I can't do that. So it seems to me that we have two choices. You can tell us what is going on here that may have nothing to do with me, but clearly has everything to do with you. We can find out together. She shook her head slowly and sadly. And behind her, Mario entered. Behind him was Frederick, just looking around the shop. And I knew that I was the last person that Frederick thought he would see here. But Mario seemed to have expected something like this. He knows me well enough. Fancy meeting you here. Seems like it's a whole party now. Steal. Of course you would be sticking your nose into places where it doesn't belong. Why try something new now? Well, you know, I'm just doing my job. Aren't we all? That's what life is. Just a series of doing your job. Until you die. <laughs> Annie, did you find it? And Annie took a step back, eyes locked on Lisa, and shook her head no, just enough to see her hair bounce off her shoulder. Well, you know, Mario, I am a, I'm what they call a private investigator, so if there's something you're looking for, 
I might be able to help. I think the way for you to help would be for you to mind your own business. This is the last time I'm going to make this offer today. How about you skedaddle and take that one with you? I looked to Lisa to see how she was faring on all this, and um, the look on her face was one I did not expect. Well, I, for one, did not come all this way to leave without answers. She said, the twenty-two still in her hands. You know, I'm all for answers. I think we can, um, we can just have some little conversations and then I'll be on our way. What do you think, Mario? Miss Anne, was it? Why not? Go ahead and ask me your questions. Annie, you keep looking. What is it you got mixed up in this time, Annie? The sisters just glared at each other. Annie ignoring Lisa as she pushed past her to stoop down behind the counter, going through drawers and looking through shelves. Seems mighty clear to me by the looks of this place that there's something here of great value. Somebody wants it. I'm guessing you. But I still don't understand why or what my sister has to do with this. She took a step toward Mario, away from her sister. Pistol held high with an almost imperceptible shake of her hand. Mario held up his hand but didn't move from his spot. Listen, lady, why don't you just put that down? I can tell you don't know how to use that. You don't have the stomach for it. And this is none of your business. Your sister's involved with something that's none of your concern. So why don't you just hand that pea shooter over to my friend here and take this last opportunity to go before things get worse. The man standing next to Mario seemed nervous, looking between everyone. Was that a bulge under his jacket? I couldn't quite tell. But he held his hand out tentatively and reached towards Lisa, offering to take the gun from her. To my surprise, Lisa made as if she was going to hand him the gun at the last moment, turning and putting it in my hands. The gun was not quite smoking, but it certainly felt like it. As the gun was more or less dropped into my hands, I made a split-second decision that would change the course of this whole thing. I made my way to the counter, back to where we'd been hiding, and with one hand, placed the gun on top of it. With the other, I grabbed the tiny bag hidden beneath the scarf under the counter. Now, I didn't know if it was what they were looking for, but it certainly looked out of place, and I've always been one to take risks. Lisa, you know, I think we should... I think Mario's right. I think we've overstayed our welcome. How about you and Anne? Come along and we'll, uh... We'll have a nice talk. Anne? How's about it? Seems like you and your sister haven't seen each other in a while. Mario stepped aside, leaving a clear path towards the doorway. Smirked and said... I think she's going to stay here with us. Fred, grab that heater over there. And Fred moved forward to pick up the gun, 
almost looking at me for permission. Go on, Fred. You heard the man. I could sense gratefulness in his eyes as he picked it up and stepped back. And Mario nodded and said, I keep giving you last chances, Steel. But you gotta trust me on this one. This is your last one. Time to go. You say that every time, Mario. I don't know, I think you've got a soft spot for me. Lisa? It's time to go. She looked at me, then back at her sister. A note of desperation in her eyes, like I had seen that first night when we met back at the police station. Trying once more to get the attention of her sister, she asked pleadingly, What does he have on you, Annie? Why are you doing this? But with no response, her shoulders slumped, and she made her way to me. We left Mario in the shop and let the rain follow us all the way to the diner. I watched Sanders stir her iced tea in silence, and I kept asking myself questions. None of these pieces seemed to be connected. Who was it that called and screamed to me on the phone? What is this one-eyed monster? And why did Stella give me this phone number? I just couldn't make the puzzle pieces fit. And Sanders was in her own world. Not that I could blame her, thinking about her sister and whatever trouble she was in. Trouble. So I excused myself and went to the back to find the phone. Maybe somebody will answer this time. I dialed, and it rang, and it rang, and then somebody picked up. Officer Wilkes, what can I do for you? Wilkes, you're the last person I thought I'd hear on the end of this phone. It's my phone. Who is this? How can I help you? I was given your number by a friend. You have any inkling as to why? Oh, is this... Is this Steel? Yes, this is Steel. Huh. No. No idea. I don't know why your friend would give you my phone number. But I'm glad you called. I had something else for you. Something I... I don't know if I can tell you over the phone here. And I could hear the sounds of other police officers and office work in the background. And he came back and said in a hushed voice, Can we meet tonight? I think I have something else... Some other information for you. I don't see why not, Officer Wilkes. Whereabouts would you like to meet? How are you at dancing, Steel? Oh, you know. I can cut a rug with the rest of them. Why do you ask? Well, I know this place that would be perfect for just you and me, and no one would notice us. I think that's a safe place for us to go and, uh, and for me to pass along this information. How about the Argonaut? The Argonaut? All right, I'll see you then. 8.30. How about 8.15? Whatever you say, Steel. 
Wear something nice. And he hung up the phone. More puzzle pieces. As I walked back to the table, I was trying to get these pieces to fit. So far, no luck. But she looked like she had something to say when I returned. Got something on your mind? I just can't shake the feeling. I know my sister was looking for something. But I have no idea what could be worth her life. I can tell you this, Miss Sanders. There is nothing precious enough to be worth the cost of a life. But that man Mario that you met, he certainly thinks there is. In fact, you and your sister seem to be up in the business of a lot of real important people. That sounds like Annie. She's always... Well, you know how I said earlier that she came to the city to try and make it big? More like try and make another big mistake. She always has these grand schemes and these ideas of her next big move. She tries to find people she thinks can help her get ahead. We, well, we didn't have the best childhood and I I did what I could. Um, I don't know, it was never enough for Miss Annie, so I wasn't completely truthful with you when we first met. I spend a lot of my time tracking her down and trying to help her out of whatever mess she has gotten herself into, but don't let my actions back there fool you. I don't. I think we might be in over our heads on this one. You think so? Now, is that because of Mario? Or is that because Oscar Wallace is involved? You caught that, huh? I did. Oscar Wallace, in our circles, it's like the boogeyman. You know, he's out there, just out of reach. But if you do bump into him, well, probably not making it out. And I don't know, I, I heard the name and I admit I said a silent word of thanks when I remembered having picked up that gun at the pawn shop a couple of days ago. Not really because I know how to use one, you see, but because I felt like things were getting real serious. Guess that's gone now, too. Well, don't you worry, Miss Sanders. I've still got a few tricks up my sleeve. This story isn't over if I've got anything to say about it. So do you have a plan? Not so much a plan, but I, uh... I think I have the key to this whole mess. Despite the time of day, the diner that we'd stopped at was nearly abandoned. And as the waitress went behind the counter again... From my coat pocket, I pulled out the mysterious object wrapped in a scarf and set it down with a thunk on the table. What do you make of this? I don't know what to make of it. It it looks like a scarf to me. Well, Miss Sanders, appearances can be deceiving. I say as I unwrap the scarf. The object in question was... Heavy, weighted, and the moment I got a good look at it, 
I immediately replaced the scarf on top of it. Nobody in their right mind would be caught dead with something so expensive in these parts. From the quick glimpse I got, it seemed to be some sort of golden statue of some animal or person or perhaps some sort of monster with solid gold except for one glittering sapphire in one eye. It looked to be worth more than the city itself. When I picked up this chunk of mystery, I was certainly getting a lot more than I bargained for. I looked back over to the woman in front of me, gauging her reaction. I couldn't be sure if what I saw was a flash of recognition, desire, or just a trick of the light. And as I waited, she turned to me and said, well, that looks like it's worth a pretty penny. Could that have been what Annie was after? I certainly think so. Would you know about any sort of uh, debts she might be trying to repay? As you could probably tell, she and I, well, we don't keep each other's confidences, but, uh, doesn't seem out of character. Can't imagine that it'd be easy to fence, though. It looks, well, it's certainly unique. A little too gaudy for my taste, but needs must. Maybe it wasn't something she acquired. Maybe it was something she was keeping an eye on. You said you have the key to this mystery, but, well, all I'm left with is more questions. That seems to be the case for this mystery. Now, Lisa Sanders, I've been entirely forthright with you this entire time, and I think it's just now that you're starting to open up about what's really going on. So can you tell me a little bit more about what you and your sister have going on? Miss Sanders, I know that... Well, I know you know that this world ain't too kind to... to ladies like us. You never do know who you can trust, so... Well, I do apologize for not telling you the whole truth when we... when we first met. And I have done some things that I am not proud of to help... Well, to keep food in my mouth and keep my sister out of trouble. I swear I'm as lost as you are in all this. At the end of the day, I just... I just want to make sure we get little Annie out of this one, and... Maybe this is the time she turns it around. With a sigh, I shoved the bundle back in my pocket and say, Let's hope this time sticks. While I wouldn't say I was satisfied with Miss Sanders' answer, I chose to let that sleeping dog lie. She went her way, and I went mine. Something about Officer Wilkes' call had me on edge, but I'm never one to pass up a chance to play dress-up. As my apartment was on the way, I made sure to stop in briefly and 
pick out one of my favorites. A floor-length red gown with a heel just sensible enough to keep it off the ground. But if I had to do some running, I'd be ready. My whiskey bottle was looking lonely, so I made sure to give her some attention before I headed out. And I made my way through the mist, past the streetlights, down to the part of town where I knew the Argonaut to be. So it's not a place I was particularly familiar with. He was both too seedy and too ritzy for my personal taste and my wallet. But everyone knew the Argonaut, so it wasn't hard to find with its lit up marquee and fancily dressed man at the door. As I made my way inside, the music was playing, the band on stage in the middle of a particularly upbeat favorite, and I slipped to the side to find a place in the shadows where I could take it in. From my hiding spot, I could see Wilkes come in a little after eight, but I waited until 8.30 before I went to join him at his table. He stood up like the gentleman he was pretending to be, and even at this distance I could smell his aftershave. He came around to pull the chair out for me, but I got there first and sat. Thanks for coming, Steele, he said. What can I get you to drink? Whiskey on the rocks will be just fine. The waiter's eyebrows went up and went to Wilkes as though looking for permission. Wilkes just kind of shrugged and the waiter walked off. It's a pretty fancy joint. Well, fancy joint for a fancy lady. Cut the flattery, Wilkes. Why are we here? He smiled so wide that I could see all of his teeth. As far as anyone in here is concerned, we're here because we like dancing. In a few minutes, maybe we'll uh, get to the other part. So he stood and offered his hand. I think they're going to play some Benny Goodman here in a bit. Shall we? We shall, I suppose. Now let's see if you've got two left feet. He laughed a little. And as we started dancing, I could tell that all of his moves were rehearsed. He was the kind of guy who knew exactly where his feet were supposed to go because he practiced and not because he could feel it. That's fine. I've danced with guys like this before. So I gave him a song and then went back to the table for my drink. Not bad, Steel. You've got some moves. Maybe I'll see some more of them later tonight. But for now, I think I've got some answers for you. If you want to bring your drink, by all means. But we've got someone to talk to here in the back. All right. Lead the way, Mr. Dancer. It looked like it made his night when I let him pull the chair out for me. And why not? He held his elbow out, so I put my hand on it the way you're supposed to. Kept the whiskey in my other and let him guide us through the crowd around to the back, down a little hallway, and stopping before a door with a little sign on it that said private. He knocked three times, gave me a wink, which made me take another sip, and then the door opened. Now, I've been in some back rooms of some dance clubs in my day, but this one felt like it didn't belong. Someone spent a lot of time 
making this feel like a very respectable high-end office. And as Wilkes shut the door behind us, the sounds of the music dimmed, and the man behind the desk stood up and crossed towards me. And as he reached out to take my hand, the only thing that was going through my mind was, now that is a nice suit. Miss Steele, I am so glad that you could join me here. My name is Oscar Wallace. I've heard quite a lot about you, Mr. Wallace. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. The pleasure is all mine. If you would do me the honor, and he pulled the chair out from in front of his desk, what is it that makes men just pull chairs out every time a woman is nearby? How uh, chivalrous of you. Well, I appreciate that. And he began to cross back behind his desk and opened a drawer. Mr. Wilkes, if you would uh, be so kind as to give us a moment, please. Wilkes nodded and left the two of us in the room together. You've got some fancy digs here, Mr. Wallace. I almost didn't recognize this place. Well, that is a high compliment indeed. When you're in my line of work, it pays to have a number of offices throughout the city so that you can meet wherever is appropriate, whenever is appropriate. It is a priority for me to make sure that those offices truly reflect the man. Miss Steele, what do you know about Miss Sanders? Are we talking Anne or Lisa? For the sake of this conversation, they might be one in the same. And he took a folder from his desk and lay it flat on the top, tapped it with his finger. Did Miss Lisa Sanders hire you? Has she paid you for your work over the last day? Now, Mr. Wallace, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you what you mean by work. More often than not, I am just a concerned citizen. She seemed to be a girl down in the dumps, and I figured we'd... You know us girls, we like to gab. Might I ask what this is about? Certainly. She does seem that way, doesn't she? Miss Steele. Mr. Wallace. I hope you take this the right way. I have noticed you. I have been very aware of your work over the past few years. And although this is the first time that we have met face to face... It is not the first time that our paths have crossed. And I would like to make a proposal. A business arrangement, if you will. From time to time, I find myself in need of a business associate with your deductive abilities. This is one of those times. And he slid the folder across the table to me. I have an item that mysteriously went missing from this establishment about two weeks ago. I had a custom suit fitting here in this room. I searched and I searched, and I asked my associates to make inquiries as well. And so far, we have been unable to find this item of mine. But we believe that we know who is responsible for it going missing. Miss Steele, if you can help me recover my property, I can 
certainly compensate you financially for your time. But I can also guarantee that, let's say, over the next year or so, you will not attract any attention from law enforcement. Not that I'm implying anything you, you understand. One hears things from time to time. First and foremost, I have to say that is quite a dapper suit you've got there. Secondly, Mr. Wallace, I am... I'm a woman of honor and integrity, and I consider myself, um, if I can be so bold, uh, a voice for the voiceless in this city, for those who are down on their luck and just need a little helping hand. So I'm wondering, uh, Mr. Wallace, what sort of helping hand are you looking for? Why, you seem to be the king of this town, Mr. Wallace. And I don't know why someone like me would be able to help you. What exactly is it that you're looking for? And why is it so important? Wallace leaned forward as though to tap on the file again. But someone outside knocking on the door beat him to it. His face was awash in annoyance as he stood up and said, It's, it's in the folder. Excuse me for one moment. And he walked to the door as I looked at the folder again before me still unopened. He opened the door. What? What is it? And over the sound of the music now seeping into this room, I could hear, we couldn't find the lady boss. We just found her sister. We don't know what happened to her. What do you mean you couldn't find her? And he turned back and said, I, excuse me for a moment, Miss Steele. Uh, I'll be back in just a moment. He stepped out of the room, shutting the door and leaving me inside. I turned back to the folder on Wallace's desk. I've never been one to turn down the opportunity for free information, and, and as there was no one here watching me look, I didn't feel I had made any sort of agreeance or bargain or arrangement. A girl can't be blamed for her natural sense of curiosity. As I flipped open the cover, my eyes were met with a stack of what seemed to be police reports and news photographs from city after city after city. In fact, what they all seemed to have in common was that at the top of every document was either a picture of Annie or Lisa Sanders. Words like art thief or missing artifact or black market continued to be a repeating theme. And as I heard the doorknob start to turn, hastily I closed it and pretended to be fascinated by the decanter in the corner. Just like the latch, it clicked. The sense of familiarity that I had once written off as sisters sharing characteristics like vocal patterns, I realized that I had heard Annie's voice once before, and it brought me back to that night when I had picked up the phone and heard not only a scream, but a warning not to trust the man with the one-eyed monster. 
feeling a buzz from both the whiskey and the adrenaline, I made my way out of the office as quickly as I could. I didn't bother changing on my way over, and my heels clicked against the pavement as I made my way to where I knew Lisa would be staying. There were too many players in this game, and it was time that I got answers. It wasn't exactly the nicest part of town, and the motel that Lisa had given as the address for her temporary staying situation was about as run down as you'd expect. I wouldn't be surprised to find some rats, human or otherwise, scuttling about if I came a little too late at night. Still, I made my way up to her floor and, with a, de- with a decisive knock on her door, steeled myself for the conversation to follow. What I saw when I opened the door was both surprising and exactly what I was expecting. Gone was the girl in the well-pressed dress and the coiffed hair and the perfectly done-up face, and instead I found the more, the more realistic version of Lisa Sanders that I'd seen in those photos when I'd snuck a peek in the file. Miss Sanders, I, I think I have a lead in your case. Why, Miss Steele, I am so pleased to see you. Do come in. Why, thank you. It's a lovely abode you've got. Well, I think you know it's not, but thank you for saying so. Not quite up to my taste. No, no. I'm sure it's not, but unfortunately, there aren't that many choices between uh, here and the Ritz, if you will, (laughs) in this city. What's more your taste, Miss Sanders? What sort of places do you like to get up to? Well, I'd prefer fewer rodents, if we're going to be perfectly honest. You said you had a lead? Yes, um, yes I did. Why don't you sit down? Is it, is it bad? Is, has something happened to my sister? Nothing's happened to your sister that I know of. Well, that's a relief. So what is it? Well, Miss Sanders, I have to be honest with you. It's not bad news necessarily, but I don't think you're going to like it. I received word about some, uh, goings-on that you and your sister have participated in. Ah, well, I did say I had done some things I wasn't proud of, Miss Steele. I understand that. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world, but um, I'd have to tell you, Miss Sanders, that this is not the city to play around in. You've made some big enemies, including one uh, Oscar Wallace, which I, I know you know who he is. He's under the impression that um, your sister might have acquired an item of his... Let's just say, I don't think you want to see the, the bad end of his deal. Miss Steele, if we, if I may speak perfectly honestly, I think we both know who currently has that object and could easily make all of this just disappear. So I guess my question is, what news do you have about my sister? I didn't have an easy answer for her. And as I was looking for one, we both heard the steps in the hallway and the knock on the door. Steele, you in there? Yeah, that was Wilkes. You could smell his aftershave through the door. You left before giving Mr. Wallace your answer. Steele, you in there? And the knocking grew more insistent. Sanders and I both tried to hold our breath, hoping he'd go away. And after a moment... We could hear him start to work on the lock. It seems I find myself in this position a lot. Between 
two people with questions that only I can answer, and myself not sure which direction to turn. On the one hand, the pretty dame who had been less than forthcoming, but whose heart seemed to be in the right place. On the other, a policeman who had forsaken his badge and turned to work for one of the most notorious names in our town. And it was in that moment that I had to decide. I had to ask myself, who was the bigger fish? And in a decision between two evils, where did I stand? It was lucky that I took my time to change into my usual garb, because that one-eyed monster was still in my pocket. Without a sound, I looked at the woman before me, pulled the golden statue out from my coat, and tossed it to her. I then pointed at the window, with fervor and with a shake of my head. She was the lesser of the two evils, as it seems. I watched her. I watched her make her way through the window, pull her duffel bag along with her, that golden monster in her hand, and kept an eye on her until she disappeared from sight. The banging behind me got louder, and as the lock turned, I ducked out the window myself. Wallace wouldn't get his answer. Not today. Not tomorrow. He had too many pawns in the game, and I wouldn't be one of them. And with that thought, as I made my way back to the apartment for a nice glass of bourbon, I knew that there would be a lot that tomorrow would hit me over the head with, but that wasn't something I had to deal with tonight. <laughs>